0: So, we have got a lot, as I said, to cover. We're in a study through the book of Joshua. This is called A Life Lived for God. And we've been looking at this entire thing step by step, verse by verse. Today's our 36th message through the book of Joshua. Last week, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, for those of you that weren't here, we're going to do a little bit of a review, because you guys know I love a good review. Baron Gilgal, in Gilgal. This is all the children of Israel. They've gathered together. They're in this place, which is kind of like their, uh, their camp or their fort, I guess. And this is where they're all sort of comfortable. And what we saw last week in Joshua 6 through verses 6 through 9 was that Joshua was actually kind of gathering the people together. God had a purpose and a plan, and he'd given them the battle plan. And what we find is they, in that message was called, Avengers Assemble. And what it meant was this, they're going back to retake a land that had been lost. At one time it was theirs, but it had been lost. And we saw in that message that God did two different things in, that, in, that, in those verses. Verses 6 and 7, what we saw was that was where Joshua was calling the people. And what we saw in that call was that it was actually to three different groups. The first two groups were the, were the priests. Now there were four priests that would carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the most holy object that ever exists on the planet Earth. It is a, a golden box. ...that is a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ... ...as well as a picture of the Word of God. It's an amazing thing. And I'm not going to take time to go into it today... ...but there's plenty of messages we preached on that... ...to reveal that truth to us. But what we saw was those four men were supposed to carry the ark. Then there were going to be seven guys... seven priests that were going to carry seven horns. Now those seven horns were unique in the fact that they were made of ram's horns. You see horns throughout Scripture... ...but these are the only ones that are made of ram's horns. The only place we found ram's horns in Scripture... ...was we went to Genesis 22... In Genesis 22, we have a, an account there where Abraham is taking his son Isaac, his, his only begotten son, up onto Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And what God does is God provides a ram, a male lamb. And it says that the Bible says that when he looks off to the side, he's prepared to, to, to sacrifice his son, but God provides himself a lamb. And that lamb, that male ram, is caught in a thicket. A thicket is, is, is horn that's going to be like, uh, what do you call those things? thorns. There you go. Sounds like horns, but it has a T on it. There you go. Thorns. And he were caught in thorns around there, around his horns, meaning that he had a crown of thorns on. And what we saw is this amazing picture of the fact that God's revealing. And what happens is that very, that very ram is the one that's going to be sacrificed to save Isaac's life. So it's a picture of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. So we see that's integral to the fact that these are ram's horns. Then we also looked at the fact that horns make announcements in scripture and what we found is really interesting is the fact that there's a correlation between God's voice and horns or trumpets, right? And we see trumpets that the Bible says that the trumpet as a voice spoke to me. So what we see is this picture where these four men are carrying something, the ark, which is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as a picture of his word. Then we have trumpets that are being blown that are pointing again to the sacrificial death of the cross. And then we see there's a third group. That's the armed men. These were the Israelites. And we, asked, we talked about the fact that this could be anywhere between 500 to 600,000 men. We always try to think about how many people that is. We think about like the stadiums, like a football stadium, 70,000 people. If you've ever been to a stadium and it's full, it's like overwhelming, just a palpable, uh, in, just having that many people in one place is just like, whoa. Imagine that times, I'm not good at math, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Spending time with me on math is not my strong suit, to say the least. But, so we see that first there's the call, but then what we see is then there's the assembling. This is where they're gathering them. This is where they're actually coming together. And what's interesting about this is as Joshua gathers them, you'll see that he actually gathers them in reverse of how he calls them. So what we have is the the armed men going first. So here they are. They're lined up and ready and prepared to move forward. Then we have the trumpets. The trumpets are then going to follow, and after that, they'll follow by the word of God. And what we saw, which is a really cool truth, and what God revealed to us through this, is the fact that God's showing us something for us, something that's applicable to our lives. So here we have Jericho. Jericho, again, remember, Jericho is a picture of the world, right? It's walled off from the people of God. It's walled itself off. And now what happens is they're going to reach it. But the first thing that the people of Jericho are going to see is going to be the the walking feet, the marching feet of those soldiers. So they're going to see the walk first. Then they'll begin to hear the trumpets in the distance. And after they hear the, see the walk and hear the trumpets, then they're going to eventually see the ark come along behind it. And what we see is the fact that for you and I as believers, guess what? As we're trying to reach the Jerichos in our life, because sometimes Jerichos are people, when we're trying to reach them, guess what they need to first see? Our walk. Then what are they? after they see our walk and they see that we're real, they see that our Christianity is real, that we're not just a hypocrite, we're not some person who puts on a, a front, then when our words come after that, The words are validated by the person that we've already shown them that we are. They should have already thought, you know, that's probably a Christian. Then when we talk about the Lord, they go, I knew it. I saw it. It was you. I could see it. And then lastly, the word of God. Because what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is that they would see the Lord, right? The manifestation of Christ. But what we know with Jericho is, guess what? Their time's running out. And guess what? For this world, time is running out, right? Time is growing short. So as we gather today with Joshua, okay, they've gotten their instructions, the, the men, and, and they're all gathered together. Joshua's ready to lead. And what we find is the fact that here, lined up and ready to move forward, God's got one additional instruction for them. And this one's kind of an out-of-left-field kind of an instruction, and we're going to get it. But what's cool is when you think about these soldiers, all these men lined up, right? they're getting ready, they're getting ready to fulfill a 40-year promise, something they've been thinking about. For year upon year upon year, and now they're actually going to be the ones that are going to be going to take the land. so this morning 's message is titled "All Quiet on the eastern Front let 's pray, Lord, thank you for today and the gift Lord that you've given us in your word. thank you for each one that 's here and Lord, you know that my heart 's desire is not to be heard, Lord that I if I could just just absolutely vanish or become invisible somehow, that would be awesome. But I don't have that ability. So, Lord, I just pray that you help me to get out of the way. I know that you have spoken to me, Uh, Lord, and I'm asking and begging that you would speak through me now, that we would all have ears to hear uh, your truth. And God, that you would use your spirit to open our eyes and minds to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter six, we're only going to be in verse number 10 today. It says this And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your mouth, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. Okay. So we have this massive armed force of soldiers that have been assembled. They're beginning to get ready to prepare for their march. And what's unusual about this message or about this command is there's nothing else we see in Scripture like this when you're going to go to battle. And what we know about this and what we'll see today is what this purpose of this quiet and the purpose of this order is to strengthen their faith. Okay. That's important for us to keep in mind. That's the goal of what today, that's what these orders are all about. So as we look at this today, what we're going to do is actually examine the command. We're going to look at the men's expectations. We're going to look at Joshua's proclamation. We're going to look at the order's duration and then the order's motivation or what was the intent behind it. Okay. So after hearing Joshua's unusual command, it's, a po- it's very possible that these men were like, that's a kind of a weird, weird thing to say that we're, we're supposed to be quiet. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of try to put ourselves into their minds, the expectations of these soldiers. So keep in mind, right? all they know at this point in time is the fact of kind of where it is they're headed, the order that they're going to go, and what it is they're to carry with them. And out of this entire group, they recognize There can only be four men who have ever actually seen Jericho out of this group. Okay, So there were two spies that were sent before. We know those two guys would have seen it. And then there would just be Joshua and Caleb because everybody else died. So there's only out of this entire group, only four people have actually seen Jericho. So they're the only ones that really know. Everyone else just has their imaginations. Have you ever heard about something being scary or, or big? and your imagination can almost make it bigger, right? We sort of picture and visualize what it could be, so it's possible these guys have a, an unrealistic view of Jericho in their minds. That's all they know. But the whole three reason why I bring this up is because I want us to think, these Avengers, as they line up, what is going to happen? All they know of the battle plan is the fact that the bottom line is, this is where you're going, this is what you're going to carry, this is the order that you're going to stand. That's all they know. So they're geared up, man. They're ready to go to battle. Now, I want you to realize the fact that if you've ever played a sport before, has anybody ever played sports before? Okay, cool. So a lot of us, right? So when you're in the locker room before the game, right, is everybody just like this? Oh, man. No, what are they like? They're like, oh, yeah, oh, here it comes, man. How much more? When is it? Games in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. You ready? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Everybody's getting geared up. They're getting amped up, right? You watch them in the football. They're like pounding on each other's shoulders. Are you ready? you ready. They're fired up because they have an expectation of what's getting ready to happen, right? They know there's going to be something asked of them, and they're going to have to raise themselves up to meet what it is they're going to face. They know there's an opposition coming. So we put ourselves in that mindset of this is the way they might be thinking. They're imagining the battles that they're familiar with. Recognize only a year before. There's a place called Sahon or a king named Sahon and another king called Og. This is on the other side of the Jordan, okay? So a year earlier, these same forces would have faced off against Sahon. And what happened? There was utter devastation and destruction. God brought an incredible victory over them. Then there's this city, or there's a a ruler named Og. And listen, in Numbers 21, verses 33 through 35, it says this. This is after the victory over Sahon. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them. He and all his people to battle at Edri. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand, and all his people and his land, and thou shalt do as to him, do to him as thou didst unto Sahon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive, and they possessed his land. So this is full on beast mode, dude. This is like I'm talking clashing of swords, arrows, flying, a bloody battle to the death. So these are not guys that are going, Yeah, I wonder what it's going to be like. They've already experienced battle. These are hardened warriors. They've gone against enemies. They have won victories. But what's interesting is we look at these other battles, there's no mention of the ark going with them. There's no mention of trumpets being played as they go. As far as we know, they're just going to battle. So when when Joshua adds these, these two groups to their ranks, they might have been going, that's kind of weird. Huh. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, by the way, don't say a word. But we don't see any hesitation in these guys, right? They're ready to follow the command of God. They're ready to follow what he's told them to do. They literally take action upon what Joshua asks of them. And that's the beautiful thing here. Because understand, they've heard stories about Joshua. Recognize, 40 years earlier, right, Joshua had led God's forces against the Amalekites. They had wiped them out. Remember when Moses' arms would get tired and Aaron and her would raise his arms? Well, guess who was leading that fight? Joshua. Joshua was the guy leading that. So Joshua was the hero of that battle. So his men, right, not only have they experienced battle and they fought and they battled, but guess what? They know Joshua's done it as well. They know he's their leader. So they've got faith in him. Exodus 17, 13 says this, and Joshua discomfited. That's a funny word, but it means defeated, right? Joshua defeated or discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Another bloody battle. And we know that this was remembered. We know that the people know about this because God had them write it down. The next verse in 1714 says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the years of Joshua. Make sure he doesn't forget. For I will utterly put out of the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So if we put ourselves in these Avengers' shoes and we think about what it would be like to be them, hundreds of thousands of armed soldiers standing in preparation to go. We can reasonably assume They are mentally preparing themselves for conflict. They have an expectation of what's getting ready to happen because it's the only kind of battle they've ever faced. And I want you to realize the fact that they are accustomed to clashing, fighting, battling, going to war. And you and I have to realize the fact that, guess what? We have expectations against our adversaries as well. Because guess what? When we face off against someone, it may be physically, it may be emotionally, it may be spiritually. Guess what? We have an expectation of how it should go. Some of us are confronters, man. boom Somebody's going to push off on us, man, we're coming back. We got, man, you're going to give me 10, I'm giving you 12, baby. Right? We're going to, boom, we're going to a cosmic explosion when we come together. Others of us might be avoiders, right? We may not deal with the situation at all. We may want to hide from the situation. But what you'll find is the fact that no matter who we are, we all have a breaking point. Okay? We all have a point in time where you can push us back into a corner. Oh, so far. And there will come a point in time where we will respond right now we may not physically respond we may not verbally respond we may not even whatever virtually respond right sending you mean text or whatever we may not do that we may not say a word but in our heart we feel like we want to we want to avenge ourselves in our heart we want to get revenge and what we'll do is we'll create a a hatred right A weapon that we can use in our own hearts to feel as if we're vindicating ourselves, right? You ever known somebody who's carried a hatred for a long time? Man, I did for about 35 years of my life. Just couldn't let it go. And you know what it was doing? It was destroying me. I thought somehow it was a weapon against this person who didn't even know I carried this in my heart necessarily. But for some reason, I just kept holding on to it because I felt if I let it go, I was going to let them off the hook what I didn't realize is I would be letting myself off the hook, setting myself free, because that's the only thing the Bible talks about, a root of bitterness. What does a root do? It goes down, man. And not only does it go straight down and affect our life, but guess what it does? It branches out, and it starts to affect the people that are close to us. And there you know. Then suddenly when I'm in a situation where someone that I love, I react in a way that's completely inappropriate. Why do I do that? Because guess what? There's a root of bitterness that's grown into their life too, and they didn't do anything to do it. They didn't deserve it. You ever experience that? Somebody somebody just blows up and you're like, whoa. Well, you know what? And if you finally dig it and you go back and you realize it's something totally unrelated to you. Because understand, that's the way this stuff works. If we don't address it and deal with it, man, guess what? It becomes destructive. But what happens is we develop these angers in our hearts because guess what? We We feel like we know how it should have worked out. It should have gone this way. They should be paying for what it is they've done to me. I need revenge. That's what we feel in our flesh. But you see, the Lord, who loves to subvert expectations, this is what he says from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 38 through 39. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is always the flesh's route, right? This is the easy way. But I say unto you that ye shall, that ye resist not evil. He says, look, I don't want you to fight evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. So the Lord wants us to understand in this situation, look, resolution is not going to be achieved because you respond in your flesh. That is not the answer. The answer is that I will you will allow me to work through your life because I need you to do this. Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse forty three through forty eight. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be, listen, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. You would respond as God would respond. You're spiritually led. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know what he's telling you? Listen, God loves his whole creation. I don't care who you are, what you've done, he loves us. In spite of who we are, thank God we wouldn't be here if it was any other way. So God loves us in spite, and He says, "Look, I want to reach my creation." Verse forty-six and forty-seven: For if He love them, which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? Listen, if someone loves you and you love them back, well, that's pretty easy to do, right? He says, "And if you salute your brethren only, but what do you do? What do, uh, what, what do ye more than others? Do even the publicans so?" He says, "Look, doing these things, this is easy." Your flesh has no problem responding kind to kind. But I'm asking you to do the hard thing, right? What did he say in verse 44? But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He pretty much covers the whole gambit. They hate you, they curse you, they they despitefully use you, and they persecute you. That pretty much covers the gambit of people, the things that people are going to do to you. And he says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to love them. Because guess what? In doing so, and trusting God instead of ourselves, what happens? Our concern shifts off of us. This is key. Our concern shifts off of us, and it shifts onto the souls of those that have wronged us. Because guess what? Hurting people, what do they do? They hurt people. We've all heard it sometime in our life, and we've reached out and heard other people. And we've got to see people the way God does. He loves all of them, right? And the byproduct of that kind of faith is that we have a heart that looks like God's heart. Listen to what he says in verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I want you to respond the way that I would respond. And it's this whole subverting of expectations that God specializes in. Because we think we know how things should go. And says, no, no, no. It's completely contrary to what you think. That's not what I would have you do. Listen, Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. God does things differently than us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You're not going to see it the way I see it. But you need to trust me. Because my way is best. When it comes to God, we all have expectations of the way things should go. We all believe we know what's right. What's fair? What should happen? How things should play out? And when it comes to this dealing with the Jerichos in our lives, man, we've got to realize the fact that whether it's people or emotions or circumstances, whatever it may reveal itself as, our expectations about how to deal with it many times are absolutely contrary to what God would have us to do. We believe we have all the answers. And God says, no, your way is not the right way. I need you to do the opposite of what you think. And see, like these men of war, in preparation for the ensuing conflict at Jericho, what would happen? See, they're preparing themselves for a traditional battle. And many times when we have a conflict in our life, that's exactly what we're doing. We're preparing for the way that we think it should go. So understand God has a different plan for them. So we see their expectations. Now let's consider Joshua's proclamation. So they heard how they're to line up. They know where they're going. They know what it is they're supposed to bring with them. But then Joshua throws in this little ditty here on the back end, Right? Joshua 6, 10, and we already read it. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall you any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. So recognize the fact that so not only is he not telling them the battle plan, right? but he's telling them not to speak or even make a sound. Notice what it says. You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice. You're not to make a sound neither shall ye any word proceed out of your mouth. He's saying, fellas, shut your pie hole. Keep it quiet. Do not speak. Don't discuss it. Don't uh, don't question it. Just do what I tell you. Joshua's saying, look, you need to trust me. The thing is, Joshua knows a lot more than they know. We know what he knows because we've already seen it. God told us, right? We saw it in Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5. He knows all this. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear thee before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass, that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So not only does Joshua know the entire plan, and not only that, but Joshua has all the assurances that are going to be victorious on top of that. So why doesn't he tell them? Why does he keep that to himself? Remember, job, Joshua's job is to take a unified body of believers and move forward. Okay, They're supposed to go together shoulder to shoulder, lockstep in a singular body, Focused, right? Having a singular focus. But recognize this. Does that sound? A singular body that's to work together as one. Does that sound like anybody else we can think of? 1 yeah. Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13. For as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of, the one, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. A unified body following a single leader. Guess what? Theirs is Joshua. Ours is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to follow him and him alone. Just imagine if Joshua had laid out the plans, right? They were crazy sounding plans. They don't sound like the kind of thing you're like, that makes perfect sense. Is it possible out of hundreds of thousands of men that there could have been one or two who would have doubted things, that would have questioned the situation and said, yeah, that doesn't sound quite feasible, I'd say based upon the track record of humanity, that's a pretty good guess that that's what would happen. So I want us to go back to that same football locker, that same locker room, right? They're all getting hyped up and stuff like that. Everybody's getting ready, getting closer to the time to go. Everybody just ready to go, man. And next, one of the guys is like, you know, (laughs) fellas, real quick. I've been doing some research on the other team. Okay, each player outweighs us by 100 pounds. Just a heads up on that. Um, Also, by the way, their defense is the number one in the nation. Uh, they're like a, it's an impenetrable wall of defense. It's unbelievable. They're undefeated. But I mentioned they're undefeated as well. Their coach was an NFL coach. All those guys have already been pre-drafted in the NFL. And I know we're in seventh grade. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but, but that's that's what's happening. So when we go out there, guys, just 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 heads up for you, okay? Hello. What would that do to that? Would it? Oh. Uh, uh, right. So understand. Joshua's dealt with this before. He knows what the. He understands what can happen. He recognized this. Remember back in Numbers, chapter number 10. What happened or chapter 13? Joshua and Caleb had gone in with 12 other spies, with with 10 other men. Twelve spies had gone in. And when they came back, Caleb and Joshua, man, they're fired up. They're going to do, we can do this. Listen. Verse number 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Man, we got this. God's on our side. We cannot lose. Amen. Verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. What was the result of that, right? Virtually everyone in that group that listened to that advice died because of a result of a lack of faith. Joshua understands that truth, and you know what he's doing? He's protecting them from themselves. He understands the power of fear, and he also understands the power of faith. Joshua's job is to get them there to mobilize to do what God's asked them to do. And what happens? Understand that faith is nothing more than believing God more than our circumstances. That's what it is. We trust him more than what we see. We talk about walking by faith and not by sight. Man, that's it. Joshua's a man of great faith, but that doesn't mean that everyone is a man of great faith. Mm -hmm. Recognize the fact that these people are struggling. Human beings, they're just like you and me, and they struggle with fear. He needs them to put their faith in him. I'm going to tell you what to do. Don't question. Don't doubt. Just follow orders. Do as I instruct you. And you see, that's what God's asking of us. That's what God's asking of us. Because understand, maintaining strong faith is the daily struggle of the believer. Every day. Every day we struggle with it. Because what happens is we tend to believe in our circumstances more than we believe God. It's just the way it is. Why would God warn us about this issue of our sight? Because so many times we're drawn to things that don't strengthen our faith. They make us question. Consider Peter, right? We think about Peter out on the water. Let's not judge Peter, remember? We always want to go, I can't believe that guy. Put yourself in the same situation. But let's recognize this. When Peter asked Jesus to call him out onto the water, what happened? This was the response of the Lord, Matthew 14, verses 29 through 32. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Man, praise the Lord. Look at that. Believing God more than his circumstances. Right there, right? He's trusting in the Lord and the Lord alone. That's where his focus is. He sees the Lord. Walking by faith in Christ. Literally ignoring his circumstance. His perceived reality, which is he's standing on a body of water. He ignores it. He does not give it any thought at all. He doesn't even see it. Because his eyes are focused on the Lord. Peter's literally walking by faith alone. But then, right? verse 30 but when he saw the wind boisterous okay his view his perspective changed okay at one point he was solely focused on god now there's a shift and it says as soon as he as soon as he shifts his focus he was afraid now believing in circumstances more than believing god and beginning to sink he cried saying lord save me right lord save me How many of us can think back to that moment for us? Mm -hmm. It It may have been your moment of salvation, yes. But it may have been also the fact that your life just got so far off track that you said, God, you know what? Help me get back. Lord, save me out of my mess. I've created a hole for myself, and I need you to drag me out. God, would you just get a hold of me and pull me out? By faith, I'm trusting in you. And guess what does it say? What did God's response? And immediately the word is used. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? As if to say, what have I ever done to cause you to doubt me, Peter? Amen. That's right. Amen. Nothing. He has been faithful throughout. See, the issue is never God. The issue is always, it's always us. And how many times could the Lord say the exact same things to us? Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? As children of God, every single day we get to choose. Will we sink or will we stand? because circumstances are irrelevant to god we think they're relevant but god says they're not and then there's another detail i want to point out to you just one little detail of this end in verse 32 it says and when they were coming to the ship the wind ceased okay notice the wind did not stop when he got saved jesus saves him peter still has a walk ahead of him He's either going to walk or he's going to get carried back through the same rough waters and the same scary wind that he did before. Back to the boat. You see, the lesson was not over at salvation. This is key. There was still a walk before the lesson was done. That's key. Because Peter has to learn to trust the Lord in the midst of the storm. God walks him back through that. And notice that it's a silent walk, interestingly enough. So, as we obediently walk with God in the face of the things that we fear, you know what he does? He grows our faith in him. And he reduces our faith in our circumstances. It's that faith that God builds through these tumultuous times. And you see the part that Joshua's teaching his men, this is what he's trying to share them. Because listen, as they march around the seemingly impenetrable city that's designed to strike fear in the heart of men, with the presence of God traveling with them, by the way, being led by their Joshua, he's saying, guess what? I need you to follow. So we consider the men's expectations. We see Joshua's proclamation. Next, let's, next let's consider its duration. Joshua 6.10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any, proceed, uh, any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you... Shout, then shall you shout. Now, we know God's instructions. Well we know how long this time is. This is a seventh-day campaign. We, have expl- we know exactly what's going on. We know this, but guess what? They don't know this. So they've just been told, hey, guess what? You're going to line up, and we're going to Jericho. That's all they know. So at this point in time, this limited information, and now they've been told that, guess what? You're supposed to be silent. Okay? Notice that it does not say they're only silent when they march. Okay? Interestingly enough, it says they're supposed to be silent continuously until he tells them to shout that's 7 days cuz recognize they circle then they go back in camp they set up and do all the stuff they're going to do and they're going to be silent cuz he says what did he say until the day i sh- until i bid you shout then shall you shout so they know they know there's a day coming so maybe maybe it's just one day but it's in fact 7 days it's like you ever play the quiet game when you're kid you know what i'm saying you're like you're staring at your friend. Like, <laughs> look at not look at you. Right? Quiet game. This is a seven day quiet game for 24 hours a day, man. Ain't no talking at all. Because remember, he said, don't make a sound with your mouth, not a word. You're to be quiet. Guess why? God needs this faith to be consistent, He needs them not to get derailed or get off track. The challenge of this thing is the fact that God's growing them in this time. Your silence is an indication of your faith. Then we look at the order's motivation. What is God teaching them through the silence? Okay? Can I tell you that there's power in silence? Mm. Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now, in Old English, you see that term dumb. That doesn't mean in, uh, non, non, not intelligent, <laughs> like me. It um, doesn't mean you're not intelligent, but what it means is it's a way of saying that they can't speak, right? Deaf and dumb, you'll hear people use that expression. That's what it means. They don't have the ability to actually talk. Isaiah's prophesying of Christ when he's brought before his accusers, Matthew 27, verses 12 through 14 And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? Don't you hear the accusations that they're railing against you? Are you not going to defend yourself? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. He was stunned by his silence. Guess what? Because the silence revealed his power. It was the fact that his silence spoke louder than any words he would have ever said in that moment. Because a normal man would defend himself. But Jesus knew this purpose of the purpose of his, of his accusation and the purpose of his death. And can I tell you, there are times, man, that needs to be true for us as well. Amen. That we don't open our mouths. Because I can tell you, a lot of us have hot heads. Somebody says something to us, man, you get ready. I'm getting ready to lay into you, bro. It's coming. I've already got a thought. I've got to come back. coming. What does he say in James 1.19? Wherefore, my beloved brethren, talking to the church, let every man be swift to hear. That should be your first thing to do. Listen. Mm-hmm. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us have a tendency to blow that one all to pieces. Because we're ready to go to war, man. Somebody lays into us, get what, man. Words are getting ready to fly, baby. I'm getting ready to cut loose on you, and you're going to hear it from me. But can I tell you, it is much, much better for us to listen to the defense, to recognize the fact that God's a better defender of us than we are, right? right? What you'll find is many times when you defend yourself and you say harsh words, all you end up with is regrets. It never repairs the relationship. The every person goes, you never blast somebody and they go, oh, you're right. I love you, by the way. No, it doesn't work like that. Boy, they get, they get more fired up, right? And it just gets escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated and escalated. And, escalated. and what happens? The devil sits back and goes, Woohoo, look at him go, baby. Yeah. Emotional response. Don't forget, God is a God of justice. Right? He works on our behalf. And so many times the best response that you and I can possibly have is no response at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, I can tell you, man, God intends for these Israelites to learn through the silence. And God intends for us to learn as well. Through what he's asked of them, because it will require immense faith to simply circle one time. They're going to circle 13 times times around the city over a seven day window and we know that faith is what god's teaching them we know the purpose of this whole adventure is faith hebrews eleven thirty says this by faith the walls of jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days it will not be the quality of their marching it will not be the strength that they display it will be not the quality of the trumpeting that they flow or the loudness of the scream that they will make it will be the faith of the man that will make that wall come tumbling down and what the silence does is protect them from themselves, from leaning on their own understandings, because all they know is to trust and to follow what they have been told, not their own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He's directed their path and said, This is the way you must go. And you see, that's just what's happening here. They're given orders, and they don't question. They simply, by faith, simply follow Joshua. They follow their command. You see, their faith in God was revealed through their faith in Joshua. This is key. Their faith in God is revealed through their faith in Joshua. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Your faith in God will be revealed through your faith in me, the Lord is saying to us. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am there, ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye you know. Whether you realize it or not, right? They intimately know the way by, Tim, by, by, by the fact. Thomas says this, unto him, Lord, we, we know not whither thou goest. And how can, we, how can we know the way? And Jesus is like, dude, you're talking to him. <laughs> What do you mean? How do you know the way? You know me, Thomas. You've walked with me. We're friends. I've walked with me. We've eaten meals together. You know the way, Thomas. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man come to the Father but by me. Thomas, your faith in me will be your victory, son. And can I tell you that our faith in the Lord will be our victory. Amen. Amen. Over death, oppression, isolation, bitterness, confusion, fear, whatever the devil wants to throw at us, man. Because I can promise you that if we're not currently facing a Jericho right now, if you're not currently standing at the base of a wall right now in your life, there is coming a time when it's coming. You will face a Jericho. And when you're standing looking at it and it puts fear in your heart and you feel overwhelmed in the moment, guess what? The answer is not complaining. The answer is not crying. The answer is not hiding. The answer is to simply steal our hearts and set our eyes on our Savior. Their job, their answer was not going to be found in themselves. It was going to be found in what God told them to do. Just be faithful. And see, it's our faith in him. If if our eyes and our view are not filled with our our faith in God, then what will happen in our peripheries, we'll start to see those things the devil wants us to see that will make us fearful. And just like Peter, we'll go from being a man of faith to a man of fear in an instant. And the next thing you know, our circumstances overwhelm us. Because guess what? A fearful heart is never a faith-filled heart. They don't go together. Lamentations 3.26 is this. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Because you see, in silence, we learn. In silence, we grow. In silence, we learn and observe. But most of all, in silence, we trust. We trust God. First Peter 3 says this. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God says, I value that silence. You see, in the silence, the Lord is shaping these people of God. He's, he's changing them. This battle against Jericho, these people, right? Their only contribution is just a willingness to do what God asks them to do. And we see the final command here. This final command to be silent is directly linked to their walk. And it's through their unified silence. Because remember, they're focused to move as one. No grumbling, no complaining, just trusting God's command and walking by faith. That they will witness an impossible victory over an impossible enemy. It's their willingness to truly trust God, not having all the answers, right? They've got to simply remain silent, trusting what they've been told. And it will reveal their faith in God is far greater than their circumstances. And God will bring the victory. And when you and I face those things in our life that scare us to our core, know that God sees it too. You're not alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Though you walk through the valley and shout I shall fear no evil, he says. Yep. You need not be helpless. You need not to be hopeless. You need not cry and cry and scream and worry. Because guess what? I am there. And I love you in the midst of this. And what's so awesome about this, this silence that's displayed in their faith is the fact that when Jericho looks down and the messengers report what's going on, all quiet on the eastern front. Not a word as the power of their silence and peace will further unnerve their enemies. They won't be accustomed to this. And you see what happens when we face the Jerichos in our lives and our emotions, man? They take us to places maybe that we don't want to go. Amen. They make us desperate. We're overwhelmed. You see, will we still our hearts and silently trust God and walk by faith? We fall prey to our fears and allow the noise and confusion of our circumstances to consume our lives. See, it's time we put our faith in God and God alone. Amen. Amen. There's a song, an old song Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Jericho's a picture of the world. We're all facing the world. Faith is the victory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us, Lord, uh, what you've told me that we need. Thank you for using your spirit, God, to discern it. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, God, Perhaps we've been challenged today to not allow our circumstances to guide our lives. That our job is to trust in your word and to walk by faith. To look at the observe, to observe those things in our life, see them, and realize the fact that God is greater than even our emotions, our own hearts, our own minds. We must put our faith in you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling right now. I've got, I've got something in my life that's putting fear in me. Pray for God to give me the victory. Would you raise your hand and say, look, you know, that's me. I'm dealing with some, Amen, I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, look, you know, pray for me. I'm dealing with some stuff in my life. I've got something right now that's got to wait on me, and I'm praying. Amen, I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, look, you know, pray for me. I need God to get the victory. Amen, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I even stand with God. You could be watching this online, watching this recorded. I don't know. But I can tell you this. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you may have suffered adversities in the the path that's gotten you to here today. And I can tell you, 20 years ago, someone asked me a question. They said, if God forbid, if you died tonight, if this is your last day on earth, are you absolutely sure you're going to go to heaven? And I looked into my heart and I said, I do not know. And if that's you today and you do not know, I'm going to give you an opportunity to call out to the God of the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and died, paid the price for the sins of the world. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was love that put him on the cross. It's love that he reaches out to you today. And in his loving heart, and his loving care, he looks to you and says, if you will receive me, I'm ready and willing to receive you. So with love in his heart, he looks to you. All you have to do is choose to receive him. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you want to receive Christ today by faith, to be set free, he's ready to do it. But the It's not up to him. It's up to you. You have to choose. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, say, you know what? I know I do not have a relationship with God. Or maybe I'm fearful that I don't. But I know I want to. Recognize he's calling out to you right now. What you feel is the call of the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to him. And all you have to do is respond. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's ready. You just have to receive it. So if you want to receive it right now, I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It won't be the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. There's no magic in the words. It's the heart behind it. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Remember, you're not talking to me. And it's not just words. You're opening your heart to God through these words. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord. I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I understand that I'm accountable to you and Lord, that I have failed miserably. But I trust that you love me and I believe that you died on the cross to save my soul. I'm asking you in the best way I know how to come into my heart, to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still.